Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is May 22nd, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. We're going to, con well, we shouldn't say begin, we should say continue our worship service. And we are continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. All right. And here is the thought of the week for May 22nd. In regard to salvation, Salvation is the very beginning of our spiritual life. By turning our attention to growing up in our spiritual lives, we are in no way diminishing the priceless gift secured by Christ. However, I think there is an undue emphasis spent on salvation. The religious world is spending their entire lives in pursuit of salvation as a tempting carrot that cannot ever be realized. Religion sees salvation as never really settled, which keeps most in hot pursuit of their, of their salvation. This is awfully confusing and misleading to many. Let me say it first, if you are not saved, you really should spend all your time making sure you have accepted God's gracious offer. The problem I see here is the disregard of God's way of salvation. What is disregarded is the fact that salvation is free. The fact that salvation is a free gift and not by our works at all tells us that we are not to spend a whole life working to be saved. And if you are not to spend a whole, spend all your time toiling for something that is absolutely free, then God must have something else for us to do while we are here on earth after salvation if we are not spending time focused on god's expectation after salvation we are wasting our time and his time too on top of all that those pursuing a salvation by their works will never get it for i can testify about them that they are zealous for god but their zeal is not based on knowledge and that comes from romans chapter 10 verse 2. As one song says, they will be, quote, forever running, but always losing the race, unquote. And that is the thought of the week. And I would like to just reiterate exactly what the thought of the week tells us, that it is absolutely free. We are assured by God's very own words written down in scripture that that is a fact. And you can take a look at First John 2, 2, for example, where Christ is the propitiation for God. God is completely satisfied that Christ had paid for um, not only our sin, the believer's sin, but also for the sins of the entire world. So it is no falsehood to tell somebody that Christ died for their sins. He didn't have to do that. And he even paid for our future sins. Um, and yet, how are all of our sins are future to Christ, and yet they are all paid for. Reconciliation is about believing in Christ, putting your trust and soul, your trust and belief in your soul salvation to Him, and handing it over 100%, making it His responsibility now for, for your soul salvation. And that is the thought of the week, and I'll turn it over today for prayer. Amen. Thanks, Hawaii. So do I have any special prayer requests? Okay, I have to start right, just that I can, yeah, just, just that I could be useful in God's service on earth. Okay. All right, thanks. I just start with hand this over to God. I mean, everybody see God you hand. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you give us this day, Father, this opportunity to hear your word, Father. We pray for those families who are struggling, Father. We pray for those who are still in mourning, Father. We pray, Father, for those who are in healing, Father, that you may request that their needs be, be met, Father. We pray, Father, that as we continue to go through the service, Father, that you allow your spirit to teach us the things that we need while we're still here on the earth, Father, while we're still here, Father, in this world, Father, even though we know it's not our home, Father. We pray, Father, for those who are, are Father, yet 
are still struggling for salvation, Father, we ask for you, Lord, to allow the Spirit to touch their hearts, Father. Because we know, Father, whoever believes in you, Father, in Christ will have eternal life, Father. We pray, Father, that as we go forward today, Father, that you would teach us, Father, so we can learn these things given to us by the message of our pastor, Father. We have seen in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And uh, thank you both. Uh, Amen. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate your service. <laughs> so we are going to get started. Um, we we are in uh, John chapter seventeen. Actually, we have some scriptures to finish, or some points in our previous week's notes that we did not get to, and so we do want to. Um, if we would, we, we have notes for this week, but we, we just want to finish up a few points from last week. If you have your last week's notes, you could uh, join me, uh, or you can just listen in. So, last week, the scripture was, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We broke it up into two phrases. In the second phrase, I have sent them into the world, we stopped, we won't do too much reviewing, but we stopped at point F. But let me just go back to point E, which says, this is 2E, notice the power of the work of God is amazing to change our orientation to this world. That work is called the baptism of the Spirit. So I gave a couple scriptures, and we, we did discuss this. Point, but I just want to re help us remember what it means for I have sent them into the world. We're not just here. We are not a part of this world any more than he is. Is he a part of this world right now? Absolutely not. Where is he? He's in heaven. Right? right? So if, if he's in heaven and not a part of this world, we are on the ground and the, the work that God has done on our behalf has made us not a part of this world. It has taken us out of Adam and has joined us to the person of Christ. And if anybody, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, is in Christ, he is, they are, a new creation, brand new, never before seen in this world before. So that, the power of that uh, is amazing of what the baptism of the spirit obviously we got other ministries of the spirit too we got uh, sealing ministry gifting filling and dwelling and baptism of the spirit all of those things are part of what happens to us in this age uh, after salvation or simultaneously with salvation and once we're saved all these things just automatically happen a part of this age they didn't happen in previous ages as we know but now this is the reality and wow what a power to tell us now that we're not of this world now you know all of that requires a different way of thinking about ourselves because we don't look any different than we did prior to us learning these things about ourselves we don't sound any different. We probably eat the same foods. Uh, we probably still go to the same places. We live at the same place. So, so how is it that we're all of a sudden now to change the way we think about ourselves? And at just one point really is saying all of that. It is saying the truth and the reality of it, but the reality that we have is different. Because we are so ingrained with the experience that we've always had in this world god is saying something to us that requires that we look away from our experience in this world this is where romans 12 1 and 2 comes in that we ought to stop being conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so in that is where we begin to understand and experience the reality that God is saying is true of us. 
unless and until we begin that work of renewing our mind, we will not experience that reality. It'll always be, yeah, it says that, and that's what I am, but really I feel like I'm still part of things going on down here. The more you renew your mind, the more you will understand. It's sort of like the question where we were talking about the apostle, right? It would be far better to depart and to be with the Lord. Far better. Anyway, point F in our notes of last week, let's continue, says <clears throat> salvation may be the same in every dispensation, but the calling we have is now uh, it's out of this world. It, that's, it really is out of this world. I want to read Ephesians 1, 17 through 23 in that regard. Uh, just to talk about the, the depth of what God has given us. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 17. Now he said a lot of things in the beginning of Ephesians which are deep talked about our calling, we've been chosen, we've been blessed, etc. And 17, he says, <clears throat> I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. Same thing we've just been talking about. That's renewing your minds with the truth of who you are. Then he continues, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now the hope here is, uh, we already know, it's elpis in the Greek, and it means the absolute confidence. But he's praying that we would know that, that we would have that absolute confidence uh, to which he has called you. And what is it? Two things. One is the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the saints, right? the people of God, the, the church. That, that is what um, is off the chart, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Those words speak of the same riches that we're talking about in verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then in Colossians, we, talk, read, we read about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all that. So these riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, um, those verses tell us that what we have been given, yes, we're saved and our feet are on the ground, but, but the, the experience that God has given us, raising us up with Christ and seating us positionally in heaven, this is where we belong, it won't be long before we actually receive that. But whether you understand it or not depends on how much you transform your thinking or you allow it to be transformed. Let's put it that way. Point G in last week's notes. So while all of this is true of us, we are in this world for a purpose. And this is where, remember last week's verse was, I have sent them into the world. And we're here. You could say, if we don't belong here, if we're pilgrims and strangers, which we read earlier here, why are we here? Why not just take us home? I've been here a long time, you know, over 30 years since I've been saved. 
at least not least that I knew I was saved over 30 years so why not take me home well I'm not begging to be taken home just yet but that's not my point but I'm saying that the fact that I'm here says that God has a purpose for me to be here because look at that calling we just read it that's where we belong so there's a purpose and John 15, 14 through 17 does speak to that somewhat. Let me just go there. John 15. We'll quickly read it. 14 through 17. So 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from the Father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So that those verses literally help us understand that, yeah, there's something for us to do here just like Christ came what if Christ you know didn't he didn't have to come here he was already uh, he was the word and he pre-existed and he created all things and all that he didn't have to come here but he did because there's work that he needed to accomplish here and he says that as much in John 17 4 where he says I finished the work you gave me to do there's work we have work here in this world there's something for us to do here. It's not talking about just going to your job and or going to school or doing all the things that you know we like to do in this world. He's there's there's work that's going to require something from us in order to do it. Well, part of it is what we're doing here. We're reviewing the record where we're seeing what God is telling us we should be doing we're learning who he is we're learning who we are. all that's part of the work is learning the rest of it is what you do when you leave here is how you live your life what you're going to do how you're going to orient to uh, being from somewhere else but living here all those are things that we have to navigate so and then there's a point, where are we, in our notes here? That's salvation, right? Uh, or gee, while it is true of us, we are in the world for a purpose. We, we discussed that. So point H, there are two clear purposes we have defined in 1 Timothy 2.4. Now 1 Timothy 2.4 talks about, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved, one, and then come to the full knowledge of the truth. So there's two things 1 Timothy 2 talks about. And we uh, just want to break that down just a little bit to understand point one, we're ambassadors. If ministers of reconciliation, that's where we get 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So that's a designation. That is a calling. That is a ministry that we have. A ministry is not for ourselves. A ministry is given to us so that it's for others. When we talk about ministering to people, we're talking about looking away from ourselves to see what somebody else needs, and then we want to give it to them. That's how you minister to somebody. Well, as ministers of the gospel, we're trying to help people be reconciled to God. That is the goal. And we're ministers, we're God's ministers, and the goal is that we would get people to be reconciled to him. So we are assisting God when it comes to salvation, like Paul as well. He says, uh, uh, for, for the Jews, I became like one of them. Um, for the Gentiles, I became like one of them, to, so I can help save people. This is our objective. That's one objective that we have in the church. And that objective was supposed to be the same thing Israel had, although Israel was a nation. 
We're individuals in every nation, and it is our responsibility to go out, and if we understand salvation and we're saved, to help in the salvation of others as well who are close to us. That's one of our objectives. And then point two, we are the church, his body, the fullness of him. Right? This is part of, you know, the, you know, the second half of that second, uh, first Timothy passage, which is to um, not only God wants all people to be saved, but to, that we would also talk about coming to the full knowledge of the truth, like the Holy Spirit led us, would lead us into all truth. There is uh, some ground for us to cover in terms of our spiritual growth, our awareness, our coming to the knowledge of what God has called us to do. Right? That is beyond salvation. That is growing to maturity, growing up in Christ, uh, to the fullness and stature of Christ. So not only do we have that responsibility, each one of us but um, individually, um, your gift is how you would express it. Right? Not everybody is going to be able to teach these things that God has designated pastors and teachers for that. <clears throat> but you may not, if you don't have that gift, there's still ways that you would express your coming to the knowledge of the truth. You have to still have the discipline to learn what the truth is. Point number Three, we are here to testify to the Father's eternal purpose. And yes, and that would be John 15, 26 and 27, where he's telling these things to the disciples, but also by way of application, us as well. John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, when is that? Who's the advocate? It's uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, uh, the Comforter, right? When he comes... Whom I will send from the Father, Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Uh, I do hear some background noise. I'm going to put it on mute. I think that's, I got it. Yes, so, <clears throat> the thought then is he will testify about me. So the Holy Spirit has a, a, a ministry to the world. He's coming. And he's going to testify about Christ. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So I like these verses because it shows the distinction of the responsibility of the Holy Spirit and our responsibility. He has a reason. He's here for a reason. He's not just here and there's just there's some wind blowing around. He's here, and he has a specific goal that he's trying to accomplish while here. And that's important for us to understand, because so do we. We're not just here wherever the wind blows, either. You know, we could do whatever we want. and Yes, we can, but if you want to, to serve the Lord, then there will be a specific way for you to do it. Not just anything... And everything goes. There's literally God has standards. So, so it is true. Uh, we are here to testify to the Father's purpose. And he says, and you must also testify. We, we have a, a reason for our existence in this world. And when we get to those later verses in John 17, you'll see a common phrase. You know, so that the world may know. So that the world may know, right? You'll see that. And we'll get to why he says that, but it lets us know that God's testimony goes further than just in the church. He, he, his message goes far, and he wants it to go far, and he uses us as an extension of his hands and feet. Okay, so this last one <clears throat> says, we, this is just a summation. We died to our identity in Adam. This is point I in our notes. That's what happened. We died. This is part of what the baptism of the Spirit causes, what we call a death, burial, and resurrection. We died with Christ. We were buried with him. Uh, totally, we're gone from this world, just like Christ was. And we are raised 
The baptism of the Spirit is identification with the person of Christ. So we, but now we have new identity in Christ. That's who we are. That's why it says we're at, our lives are out of this world. We know our eternal destiny. We have a clear, cl we have clear marching orders from the Father and our Lord. And um, this is Ephesians 3, 7 through 11, which when I say clear marching orders, this is clear of what the Apostle Paul is clear about what he's doing here. I'm going to read it, verse 7. I, have be I, have be I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was past, uh, ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I read those verses, it's, it resonates to me. It says something to me. It is not just, oh, well, these are just verses. These are, these are verses that apply to us. In our sojourn here in the world. You know, it, it's interesting. When I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, I think most of you know that already. It's not really significant, but it's just, just, an, just an analogy to this a little bit. So every day uh, we would come to church on Saturdays. They wanted to drill it into us that seventh day is the Sabbath and all this, you know, we, we're supposed to keep it and uh, everybody else isn't, but we are. So we would stand, everybody would stand and when we were beginning to have church and we would read the fourth commandment. And everybody would recite it together. Six days shall you labor. And, remember, the, I almost forgot it, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh, everybody together would be saying this in the church. And that you shall not work your manservant, your maidservant, neither the stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and rested in the seventh day. We would recite that every Saturday. That got into me. But if I would have said, if I would say today, what or where are our marching orders for today? It's, these, it's this passage right here. It's what Paul said, how he was a servant and we are to follow in those same footsteps. It tells us why we're doing what we're doing. It's God's eternal purpose. It was hidden, but it's now revealed for us. And it's through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And not only just them, but to make it plain to everyone about this new thing God has revealed. And this, these are our marching orders right here. And... I should say we should recite this every day, every time we come to church, but that's okay. I'm going to let you remember. And then there's another one in Colossians chapter 1, 25 through 29, which is not necessarily the one I was thinking of, um, you know, reciting, but it also goes with it. So 1, 25 through 29 says, I have become its servant. This is the church. By commission, God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That is the, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So I think about uh, things that we should be thinking about ourselves. How, where do we develop pride in this age, which is not distinguished enough from what happened in Israel? These things were never revealed before, but now they're revealed to us. This is our heritage. This is, this is the riches of our inheritance that is in the church God has given us. This is who we are. We're talking about our identity. And we should develop pride in that. Pride is not who we are, but pride is what God has made of us. So, so this is how we live in this world. This is what, who we are, what God has done. So all of that is... Um, last week, and um, this is where we get our marching orders. They are clear, I think. They are, they are clear to, to the point where people are not making the distinctions, and I know it is the spirit of truth who ultimately does help us understand what the truth is. But we can resist the spirit of truth, and that's what we do not want to do. That's the same thing the Jews did. So they didn't. They resisted the Holy Spirit. We will not. We will accept His influence. So in that, that was last week. So just to note, we're right there. So two things are happening. So Jesus said in verse eighteen, "I have sent, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world." And then He says, "For them I sanctify myself, that they too." may be truly sanctified. This is uh, verse 19. You should have notes, and we're going to dig into verse 19. We took some time to understand how we are to be sanctified in verse 17. And it helps us to be sure of the direction we are to travel in this world. Once we know the direction, we can move deliberately toward the goal of fulfilling his purpose for us in the world. Like Christ, we should be mission-minded during our time here. Not only that, but we must also be motivated by a purpose higher than what may promote ourselves. And that is the Father's eternal purpose. The Spirit of Truth has been bestowed on us for this very purpose. While here in the world, there is no autopilot. We must be engaged every step of the way with humility to follow the Spirit's influence in our lives. So we're, we're going to talk about what it means for Christ to sanctify himself and what it means for us to truly be sanctified, even though we covered a lot of this in verse 17 um, and even verse, verse 18, but now... Uh, we, we're going to talk about what is the significance of this verse uh, to the discourse. So, for them, I sanctify myself. Let's go into it. <clears throat> First thought is, when we think about what was top of mind for Jesus' last hours on earth, we have our answer. And it's unquestionably the church. I mean, if you... I, I know there's not many people who read the Gospels and come away with this point of view, but we do. Especially after going through John chapter 14, 15, 16, and now we're in 17. If you're not seeing this by now, I'm not sure why. Because this is all that Jesus has given his attention to. <clears throat> and we're talking about not just, listen, none of this is about Israel. He's not telling them that they got to get back and build up Israel and get do this. Or, none of that is what is top of mind for Jesus. What's he, what he's thinking about is what's going to happen very soon when the Holy Spirit comes. And he's preparing those disciples who are the foundation, who will be the apostles and the foundation of the church. So it is... 
when we say unquestionably, I should I say unquestionably for all that I've read and seen, but others question it. Uh, other Christians question what the plan is. I would not say all Christians are on the same page, but they should be. There's enough evidence and testimony by Jesus' own words that we should know what, what was on his mind. And it's important to us, at least to understand what did what was he thinking? He's he knows he's getting ready to leave. He knows he's gonna depart. And he knows when. And he's sure about what's important. And he's saying things like, I'm saying these things now, so later you'll understand. He's saying things like that throughout the discourse. So that we know what was most important to him. And it wasn't Israel. All the scriptures about Israel were already penned. They already are there. And he referred to them a lot in his ministry, but now, what's top of mind? What's next? Is the church, the new dispensation. Point B. For them, for them I sanctify myself. So who, that is, who's he talking about? Them, the disciples, who would later become the apostles as part of the foundation of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1.23. So when we read that verse, <clears throat> it really is a part of uh, us. Not It's not just them, as we are going to clearly understand next week if we get to verse 20, 7, John 17, 20, that's a part of it. In fact, I'm quoting it in the next phrase. So point C is, who is them here? It is the disciples. And this is in context. It is the disciples, but not only them, but us and the Apostle Paul as well. So why do I say us and the Apostle Paul? Because Paul is he's the Apostle. So John 17, 20, I'm just going to turn there. This is, <clears throat> this is a verse that we're going to be covering later, very soon. But we should note what it says. My prayer is not for them alone. <clears throat> Excuse me. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe, there it goes the world again, may believe that you have sent me. So there, this whole thing about John 17, 20 through 21, the reason why I would bring it is to help you, you understand that he's not just talking about the disciples. He's talking about all of us and the dynamics of the spiritual life, you know, that you know, I, them, he is in us, and we are in him, and we are in the Father. All those are the dynamics of Pentecost, which is the new age, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of those are the dynamics. So obviously it's talking about the church age, without a doubt. And why Paul? Because he's the last apostle. He's the one who, uh, and I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 15, where um, he says this as much. 15, 8 through 10 says, uh, And last of all, he appeared to me, he's talking about the resurrection, to me also, as to one abnormally born. In other words, he's not, he wasn't with the rest of the apostles, but he's one. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So the Apostle Paul, yes, he's unique in that he came along later, but he's along with them. He's in the foundation of the church and he's talking he came he's one who would believe on me because he wasn't standing at, with those disciples 
when Jesus was in the upper room getting ready to leave after the discourse. He wasn't standing there with them. He's one that would believe after, just like us, that is in this age, that are in this age. That's who we are. That's who the Apostle Paul was. So, yeah, that's, that is what he means by them. And we understand the them, the distinctions, because he says they have, I, you know, I gave them the word you gave me. They, you know, all of that, which is in John 17, we weren't there to hear those instructions, but we were there in verse 20. And he says, he's not just talking to them about these things, he's talking to us too. So that's why we're included in this. We'll, we'll go over this more next week or whenever we get to verse 20. Because it's important that we show the integration. So point D in our notes. Let's keep going. We must not fail to see that the work of Christ on the earth included the preparation of those who would lead out in this new hidden age. Okay, so when Christ says, I sanctify myself, what is it, what, he's talking about the fact that he dedicated, he committed himself to this special purpose that was upon him, that the Father had imposed upon him. He could have said, I, I don't want to do the work. I, I, I think, I think um, you know, I just want to go home. I don't want to do the work. He could have said that, but he didn't. He finished the work. He was the person that stood in the gap for us and received the judgment for all of our sins when it came to salvation. But more than that, he was the person who we are being conformed to by his image, by the image of his son. That's what God wanted in the eternal purpose. So when we think about that, um, this is, we really can't fail to see this, that Christ did all this work and this work is important we, we got to see that the work that he did is a part of his commitment not only to us but to the father i sanctify myself and so that they too may be sanctified i set myself apart for this purpose so that they will be the ones that we can be called into glory this is this is point uh, D we're in, in this age. Uh, let's look at a couple verses. Ephesians 1, 9. Because none of this would be pop possible if Christ hadn't done what he did. Ephesians 1, 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And that, that there it is right there, if you think about it. Even if we didn't read any other verses around it, which we could, but the fact that this is something new, he made known to us the mystery of his will. What do you mean? Why does Paul use that word mystery? It's because it's not a mystery anymore. It's not hidden, but he's referring it so that we can place it in its proper perspective and priority. If it was hidden from Israel and from ages past and from everybody, that should make it a priority for us. <laughs> However, to some, it has been the reverse. The fact that it was hidden and people uh, hadn't seen it in the past, that shows you that our way of life is not Israel. Is not We're not Jews. We're not Gentiles. It is out of this world. I like the what. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, that's what God has revealed to us by means of the Spirit. So this mystery is used to accentuate this information, not to play it down. In fact, one person told me, I hope they're, this was a horrible thing, but when when they, Paul used this mystery language, they said, see, it was hidden. Nobody else knew it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. 
it was known. It's revealed. They said, no, he says it's a mystery. No, it's not a mystery. He's only, it is revealed. That's why it says he made known to us the mystery. If he didn't make it known, it, it would still be a mystery. But he did make it known, so it's no longer a mystery. Well, then why use the word mystery? Well, it's to use the point that I just made about accentuating the priority of this information. It should be top of mind for us, just like it was top of mind for Jesus. It should be way up there in terms of you leaning forward to say, okay, God, what do you have to tell me that you hid from Israel, from Gentiles, from angels? What is it that you have to tell me? You should be on the edge of your seat. That's what Paul is saying. That's where the way he was. And that's why he's teaching it this way. You notice Peter, James, and, and John, they don't use the word mystery. Only the Apostle Paul, because he's trying to teach this thing in a way that helps us lean forward. And remember, Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. If anything, you would think he would be trying to point us to Israel. But no, not at all. He's helping us understand the true nature of our call. And that's why, so, and then when you read Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 3, and, uh, 2 and 3, here it is, <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 2 and 3, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. The administration of God's grace. That word is the word dispensation. Oikonomia is how God is ruling over his household. And then, if it's just an administration of how God is ruling over his household, he could have named Israel. He could have said, yeah, like the law. You should be keeping the law. Nope, but he didn't say that. Verse 3, that is the mystery. And there's that word again. Mysterion. And he's saying that no, our what I'm giving here is not the Mosaic law. It's something that if it wasn't revealed to Israel, if it wasn't revealed to the Gentiles, Noah and all the rest of them, or Abraham, or none of them, or angels, then it's certainly a mystery, isn't it? But it is now revealed, I would say, it's the heart of God. He hid it for a reason. Because he wanted to reveal it to the, to the ones for whom it pertained. Not as us. Mystery made known to me by revelation. In other words, God directly told Paul this information. You can get it from reading the Old Testament talking to the Pharisees or any of that, he got it directly from God. That's what revelation is, as I have already written briefly. So, so Jesus sanctified himself. He dedicated himself. So he knew this information and he knew what was coming. So it was the most important thing to him. So he set us life in order so that this information could be uh, th this dispensation, this information this new understanding could come to this world and it's the most important thing that has ever happened in this world the most important thing look, the world knew about Jesus' salvation bringing, you know, being the seed of the woman the world knew about that that wasn't a mystery salvation isn't a mystery because if it were, nobody could be saved. How would anybody know the way of salvation if it was a mystery? But no. Jesus said the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The world knew about the seed of the woman and how God was going to resolve the problem of lost people in Adam. He knew God. there was a plan. It was revealed. But this information was not. And 
this is what Christ is pining away about in all of those chapters that we've just been discussing. Trying to help us get to the point of understanding not only who we are, but what is our destiny and how we ought to live and testify on this earth. What is our job while we're here? It's important stuff when we think about it. Yeah. So, point E in our notes, okay? So, I sanctify myself, all right? So this is Jesus' sanctification first. I sanctify myself. Uh, and we already understood what it means for us to be sanctified. It means set apart for a special purpose. Right? And, uh, but what does it mean for Jesus? So in our sanctification, we have to know that being set apart, set apart for this particular purpose means that we have to be chosen for this particular purpose first. We, we just can't up and decide we're going to dedicate our lives to some purpose and then commit to it and, and live it out, walk it out. We can't just decide that. God's choice is that for us. His sovereign choice and grace is that. We don't, we don't get that. We don't have any say in how and when we're going to be born in this world. And the world is chopped up into dispensations. And then the dispensation that we're in right now is hidden. None of the other dispensations knew this one would exist. Although the previous dispensations knew about the future dispensation, they didn't know about this one. It was hidden, as we just read in Ephesians 2, 3, 3, 2, and 3. It was hidden, not seen. So, so Jesus says, I'm committing, I'm sanctifying, I'm setting myself apart. Now, Jesus was already sanctified positionally when the Father chose him for this, for this position. Uh, John 17, 5 where Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. See, Jesus was chosen for this task before the world began, before creation. He was chosen for this task. So now, he's on the ground in the year, whatever it is, uh, you know, first century, circa, and he is walking what it means to be sanctified, to sanctify himself. He's already sanctified positionally. Now he's going to set himself apart while he's on the ground to this special purpose. So the first point, what does it mean for Jesus? Sanctified, to be set apart for God for his special purposes. And I say not everyone is sanctified. I should, said, should have said sanctified in this way. Because God wanted people to be set apart for Israel too but not for the same purpose we have. Not for the same purpose that Christ is sanctifying himself for. Because he says it's for us. For them. For them. Who's them? And we already discussed who them was. So he's setting himself apart for us. Church is top of mind for Christ. Point two. Jesus, recognizing his responsibility to the Father, commits himself to the Father's plan. He, he understands uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30. I'm going to read it again. We've already read it, but they are some powerful verses that talk about our destiny and our predestination and all that. So 8, 29 <clears throat> says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, those, us, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, to me, as we read this, as it says in Ephesians 3.11, it is according to the Father's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Ephesians 3.11. It's according to his eternal purpose. How did he accomplish it? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
So Christ had to sanctify himself. And the sanctification that he needed wasn't just the fact that God chose him. He actually had to execute the plan. He actually had to do it. And like he says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have made known to them the words you gave me to tell them. I have chosen the ones you told me to choose. I did all the work that you wanted me to do so that these things could happen in this age. I'm sanctifying myself. I'm setting myself apart for this special purpose. Point three. When Jesus was here, this was the special purpose to which he was committed. Right? And I, when I think about what is the sanctification process, it dovetails. Let's go to John 14, 31, just so we know. Dovetails with another word, love. Christ came to love the Father's plan. So it's not just submission and humility to the Father, but Christ loved it. Let's just read it. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming he has no hold over me but he comes so that the world again there we go the world again we're going to talk about that as we're coming up to it the world may learn that i love the father and i do exactly what the father has commanded me now see when he says he loves the father he's not just saying i love the father because He's the Father. He's saying, I love the Father's plan. It is about the Father's plan. It's not just some infatuation that he or we have with the Father. It is about the Father's plan. How do we know the Father? What do we know of the Father? We only know about his plan. That's what is revealed to us through the spirit of truth. It is not what color socks he wears, whether or not he wears jeans or... None of that is about the Father. It's about the Father's plan. If we miss that, then we're going to always just look at the Father as some icon, like our Father or something, when really it's the Father's plan that is why all of this in the first place. Right? That it's about his eternal purpose that he accomplished in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we don't want to miss the fact that Jesus not just submitted, oh, okay, I have to do it, but Jesus loved the plan himself. What does it mean he loved it? He committed to it. It was his will. It wasn't just the Father's will, but it was his will now too, that he was going to do the Father's will no matter what, because it was the best thing. He understood it, and he knew that this was the thing that would accomplish the eternal purpose of the Father. He knew it, and he loved the plan himself. He submitted to the plan, as we saw. Now, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. How did he get that glory? Because he had to finish the work. So he knew, he wanted that. He understood that glory in that context. So he was committed to it. And then 17, as we were just reading, let me just read that, so I don't want to go so fast that I skip over. 17, 4 through 6, Jesus is saying, I have brought you glory on earth. How did he do it? By finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So they saw the end of it all, and there's glory in it. Then he keeps going. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. There it is. Now they know. So the plan, right? He's, he's revealed it to them. He's introduced it to them. And they believe it. They've obeyed. So we're a part of something that happened before time began. In the planning of, of all things, God thought of us. 
I like verse 10 in this. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. It's the same glory he was just talking about. Through them, us. So the glory that he had with the Father before the world began had to do with us, the church. There it is, verse 10. And glory has come to me through them. So that's point three, point four in our notes. Jesus giving himself to this means, it means that we can be baptized into his body. Right? It facilitates, it brings, if he hadn't done the work, who knows? Let's just say if we think of it in human terms. We can't really think of it in human terms because God already saw that this was going to work. He knew this plan because he's talking about glory already. <laughs> if he's seen the glory of those that those sons of God when they are revealed, he saw the glory. We know the glory's coming. We know the hope to which he has called us. The glorious inheritance in the saints. All that's going to be absolutely sure. But if I think of it in human terms, I could say, well, what if Christ decided he didn't want to tell them he didn't reveal to them all the stuff. He didn't do the work that he was supposed to do. They would have been fragmented. It may not have been together in one place in Acts chapter 2. But no, he did his job while he was on the earth. And it matters. The works that we have here, I would say even after that, matter. He's given, he's given us something to do. Thank you, Lord. So in point four, Jesus giving himself to this means that we can be baptized into the body, right? That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's what happens to every person who believes in Christ. They are baptized. And all of us, not some of us, all of us in this age are baptized. It's not only reserved for those who tarry or those who have some special spiritual uh, fervor is for every one of us. We're baptized into his body. That's what the baptism of the Spirit does. It places you in union with Christ, with the person of Christ. And we would and to be that new creation of the Father that was that the Father desired. Second Corinthians five seventeen, right? The new creation has come. Anybody who's in Christ is part of that new creation. So those are important factors for us to think about as we continue. Right? We, we, want, uh, we want to be sanctified in the same way that Christ set himself apart and was sanctified. <clears throat> we'll get to that <clears throat> point that's point number two, that they may also be truly sanctified. But we got one last point, and it looks like we're going to have to stop. But that's okay. We don't want to rush. Rather, we would <clears throat> make sure we cover all of what we want to talk about. So point F is um, the last point here, and we're going to pause after this is we know that Jesus had a work to do for all mankind. We know when we think about his salvation work, 1 John 2, 2, I'll just quote it. It says, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So that's a work that Christ had to do, not just for the church. Now, yes, we're involved in the whole world, but that work is for every single person that would ever be born on planet Earth. Christ died for them. Christ knew, the Father knew what their sins were, and he put them on Christ, and that's exactly what happened. And I like the second, I don't have it here, but 2 Corinthians 5 says, in this regard, all this, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, what is that ministry? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Is that the message you have when you talk to people? Is that the message Christians are telling people today? Are they telling them about their sins? Which is it? Is it God is not counting your sins against you? Or you better watch out because your sins are going to condemn you? I think this coincides with the fact that salvation is free. It, this is the message we're supposed to tell people. If it's hard for you to tell people this, then you're not telling them the gospel. This is the, men, this is the ministry of reconciliation. And so, but Christ did this for the whole world, not some people in the world, everybody. But, but you must see, the rest, rest of our note in point F, you must see that this work specific to the church right so you should see the difference between the work of Christ for the whole world and the work of Christ on behalf of us the church there's a special work and Christ is saying for this I am sanctifying myself I am setting myself apart I am sacrificing I am giving myself to this, to this special purpose, so that all of this can take place. The Father's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to quit this week, but next week we're going to continue with the rest of this phrase, that they too may be truly sanctified. And we, uh, it's a good place to stop right here, right in the middle. And we'll finish the rest next week and we'll continue on let's bow our heads as we close thank you father for this time we've had we are grateful for wow your call over our lives and we may just be realizing it but that's the thought here is that we do come to know what you have destined for us before time began so we thank you for the calling we thank you for this church Father, we get to talk about these things here. We are so thankful that you have carved out a little space and time for us so that we can commune and fellowship together. So we recognize we're in the world. Father, we pray for peace so that we can continue uh, our mission here in the world. And we pray for those who are in the church, whatever country they're in, wherever they live. Father, we know that we're one with them. There are our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.